This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. You'll see Bob Sidney will play for us, and then uh, we'll introduce our speaker. Okay. This piece is called Sanya. I'm going to play the beginning of it, three minutes, short version. Sanya means three valleys. It represents the three pillars of Buddhism, the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. So in the words of the 8th century poet Han Shan from Cold Mountain, I ask you, who can escape the tangles of this world and sit with us among the white clouds?
deep and for a long time, like to the beginning. And uh, the, in supporting how Jakuti manifests and continues the teachings of Kobuchino Odagawa Roshi and all the ancestors. So uh, welcome, Brian. Thank you for being here with us. Mute. Good morning. Is this working? Yes. Okay. First and foremost, thank you, Bob, for uh, the sound of the shakuhachi and sharing that with us. Uh, a beautiful piece. Uh, how indeed can we? Can anyone avoid the entanglements of this world? I certainly don't have the answer to that. Uh, although I presume to give a talk on the subject. Uh, I also want to thank Nico and Doug and everyone else at Jokoji, the residents at Jokoji, for keeping Jokoji alive and well during these very difficult times of the pandemic. Uh, it couldn't be done without their incredible commitment. Uh, we are all in their debt. So I'm very honored to address you all uh, this morning during this practice period on the subject of Buddhist activism, which I characterize in the topic discussion as either an oxymoron or the Buddha's way. And uh, so in order to get into this a little bit, um, I need to make this a little bit autobiographical, and I apologize, but uh, there doesn't seem any, any other way for me to broach this subject. Um, <clears throat> As we all know, uh, in Buddhism, and particularly Zen Buddhism, uh, there is uh, a notion of Kensho, which is an awakening, a sudden awakening. And um, my commitment to activism began with a kind of awakening, uh, not Kensho by long shot, but uh, a, a sudden awareness of one's position in the universe. And this is in relation uh, to uh, the work I did in the march from Selma to Montgomery, Alabama in 1965. Um, I was 21 and um, I had come from a culture which was entirely white, entirely Catholic and entirely safe and secure. And uh, I uh, landed in Selma, Alabama, where uh, institutional racism had taken hold since probably two years after the Civil War. There were two registered voters, of, of black voters in uh, Lowndes County at that time. And um, the presence of white, as we referred honkies uh, like me and others was a big insult to that uh, tradition to the tradition of, of racism as it existed in that community at that time. Um, and so uh, as a result of being there and being chased, stoned, shot at, et cetera, a, a kid coming from this very safe and secure environment uh, had an awakening uh, in a sense. I became aware of my privilege 
being white, being male, being well-educated and being from a culture that was secure and safe and suddenly finding myself in a culture where black people were ignored unless they stepped out of line. And otherwise, as we saw on the Pettus Bridge, they were beaten into unconsciousness. And uh, that was not out of the ordinary. That was the only, only thing out of the ordinary about the event on the Pettus Bridge was that there were a lot of people involved, a lot of blacks involved. That awakening um, spurred me on to become a social activist, to get involved in matters that uh, the culture was ignoring, institutional racism being one of them, uh, environmental degradation being another, particularly in the area that I lived in, uh, which is in Northern California, the logging industry was decimating every square inch of the county of Mendocino. And I became involved in actions to preserve and protect wilderness. I became involved in actions to reach out to African-Americans while I was in college and later in law school. The long and the short of it is that I was actually on a usual litmus of measuring success, I would say I was very successful. However, uh, that success came at a, great, at a great cost. It resulted in the divorce, uh, my wife divorcing me and leaving me for my best friend, a very wise decision on her part, I might add. And uh, it also had a very disruptive influence on my children, as you can imagine. And the problem was entirely me. That is to say, in my focus on being socially correct and a social activist, I became more involved in my own ego and my own success. And uh, the price of that success was the disconnection from those I loved. This occurred, uh, as I say, during the period from the time I was in Selma until I met Coben in 1982. Excuse me, I'm, I met Coben in 1979. And uh, as a result of that meeting, there was a, another shift in my consciousness. Again, not anything that you would call enlightenment, that's, that's for sure, but an awareness that, of what was missing. Uh, that uh, in my work uh, as an attorney and as a social activist, I had lost control of myself. And in particular, I'd lost control of my ego and my need to succeed at any cost. The, um, the event that occurred uh, with, with Coben was something that occurred in degrees. It didn't occur all at once. I sat many, many sashines with him and, and sashines with other teachers. And in that process, I came to this realization that the work that I needed to do in the world needed to balance wisdom and compassion. It needed to balance work act, a work ethic with heart. 
And that is something that has been my life work ever since. I would like to take a moment to uh, discuss the larger picture that we find ourselves in today. As we all know, humanity is threatened by an extinction event from one of two causes. Of course, behind both causes is none other than us. One is of course global warming and the other is nuclear proliferation. The, the, uh, the insight for me with regarding this is this. Other species, let's consider elephants and whales and, and dolphins and possibly octopi. They may be as intelligent as we are, but they have elected to remain within the parameters of their biology. We have not. We have burned up and are burning up uh, the fuels available to us on the planet to great cost to the atmosphere and, and now to the biosphere. And we have also brought the fire of the stars to earth in our nuclear fission. And these uh, uh, two events, given the proclivity of human beings to do nothing about anything that doesn't exactly directly threaten them, uh, seem to be the kinds of events that could result in our extinction as a species, as well as the extinction of many other species on this planet. So the question is, what, what do each of us need to do about this? And uh, my answer for me personally comes from two parts of my understanding of, of two critical components of Coben's teachings. The first part is the instruction that he gave me and many others both in Dokusan and in, in Teisho's and Sashin, which is this. Zazen is the teacher. Zazen is the teacher. For this reason, we can translate that into what we're doing here today. Sitting is what matters for each of us. The second part of what Coben expressed to his students in many of the Sashins was his gratitude, his deep gratitude and appreciation for the opportunity to collectively quiet our minds through the practice of Zazen. Translated into in terms of what we are doing today and what we have been doing today here in the Zendo and here in the ethernet, sitting zazen as a group matters to each of us. Zazen practice, practicing zazen collectively for all of us, but especially for those of us who hope to have a shift in consciousness that compels us to become activists in the Buddha way in response to the imminent threat that we face is a threat not only to our biosphere, but it's to the continued existence of many, many plants and species in addition to our own. The, two, the true practice of Zazen 
when done collectively, it begins to undermine the ego's need to distinguish between the self and other. This is a distinction that our egos vigorously defend, vigorously defend and vigorously maintain. The false conviction that we truly exist as a being that is separate from, entirely separate from all other beings is a challenging delusion to overcome. This persistent delusion only begins to break down when we are on the path of activists. If we can be on that path through the practice of Zazen, the collective practice of Zazen. I am open to questions any of you may have about any part of what I've had to say. And I also welcome uh, input on the subject from others who are attending this, this sitting practice today. Ryan, this is Doug. I have a yeah. question. Uh, we have our sitting practice. Uh, we, we have Zazen, as you said, and you said we have our sitting together to quiet our mind. And we also have uh, getting up off our seat. You haven't spoken about that yet. <laughs> Could you? Yeah, and Coben's uh, teaching was that uh, Zazen is the sitting is a combination of sitting uh, in a particular position, obviously as best you can, either on a chair or on the cushion, but it didn't end there. There was no break in his teaching between the practice of Zazen sitting and the practice of Zazen in Kinyin. And that in fact, what he expected us to do in spite of our difficulties with our legs was to stand up promptly at the end of practice period, of sitting practice period and begin Kinyin because Kinyin was just part of Zazen in his yeah, teaching. So uh, that's um, not easy to do, but I recommend it if you can, because in, in a sense you carry the, the quiet into your sitting practice. And uh, the, part of the, the part of that that I recall from his teachings is that it helps you in the next transition, which is when you walk out the door of the Zendo, you have taken whatever sense of quiet in your mind and whatever sense of uh, uh, disturbance of the distinction between self and others with you as you walk and with you when you leave, hopefully when you leave the Zendo. Beautiful, thank you. Um, Brian, this is Hogan here at Jokoji. And uh, I, uh, I think I heard you say um, that 
what we face right now uh, in the collective, or as we look at the wider goings on in the world, is um, first the danger of um, environmental degradation and uh, climactic change because of human activity. And then also the, the great danger of um, uh, the nuclear nuclear proliferation. And I'm wondering, it, it, it seemed to bring to mind um, when the word proliferation brought to me this idea that one of the things we're really faced with uh, as a challenge that's just insidiously crept up on us in the past few thousand years is just the proliferation of, um, of humankind itself, uh, just the growth of the species that, of course, was aided by our ability to harness external power sources and, and uh, change landscapes to suit our own needs. But fundamentally, it's this some sort of expansionist seed within the successful and current human cultures or the predominant ones, the ones that continue to expand their, their reaches. It seemed to me to be one of the sources of the problem. And Zazen, the practice of Zazen, which seems to me to be um, practicing being right here, right now, and being learning to be on guard against these egoic constructs of success or achievement, which usually are things about what am I going to do in the future? How do I line things up now for some future goal? rather than being right here, right now. Um, I wonder if you could, and also it seems that really the story you told of your own, your own uh, path, I think especially struck me where you mentioned that your first nuclear family, the, the first marriage that you had ended because it sounded like to me that that egoic part of yourself was a bit confused and was a bit wrapped up in success or achievement. And the way you put it was you said, instead of being with the people that you loved, um, your attention or your love actually was going towards these egoic constructs of getting things done or you weren't really present to the people that you lived with and shared bed, shared a bed with. And I, I I, I just, I, I'm just sort of regurgitating the story, but I'm wondering if you could um, especially uh, comment on this idea that there's something fundamentally expansionist in this, this seed of human culture that's hijacked each one of our individual awarenesses and how we might be on guard on that or notice it and know what to do with or, or see the difference between right action and feeding an egoic need to achieve. Wow. Well, um, are you able to hear me? Yeah. Okay. That's, um, that's been a very big challenge for me. And I think it is for all of us. Uh, and that's a very, uh, you know, you've asked a question that's right at the heart of what I'm trying to get at in this uh, short talk. Um, the, the only way that I have been able to achieve that balance, as I, as I said in the talk, is through the practice of Zazen. And as Doug points out, it includes both the sitting practice and the walking practice. 
and then carrying that awareness uh, that there is no uh, the, the open awareness that there is no difference between self and other. I mean, that's not, that's a concept. That's, those are words, but you know, to the extent one hopes to experience that in your life, there's a high probability uh, that you'll experience it in your practice of Zazen, in my experience, far greater than the probability that you'll experience it in any other form. So once you begin to have the taste of that, and that's happening all the time because in fact, uh, to, to not be attached to self as opposed to understanding that self and other are one is the natural condition that exists in all of us. And so all we're really hoping and trying to do is to get back to that basic fundamental state of awareness to re-experience it, to allow it to come out. Mm -hmm. And so how do you do that? I mean, if, if you can think of a way to do it, uh, you know, through other means, then I'll by all means pursue those other means. Uh, I can only speak for myself that uh, it, it was through uh, Coben's teaching, uh, and which are teachings that were handed to him through a several thousand year lineage that were of use to me and have been of, of use and, and, have, and have been helpful to me. This is in the context of social activism, mm -hmm. um, which is the world I live in. I am very much involved in uh, incredibly challenging um, projects, so let's call them projects, that um, in which I can easily become distracted by my ego. And uh, I think all of us have this uh, as our experience in life, whether it's what Doug is doing under this Zendo or uh, what uh, Giro is doing in the gardens, or what you are doing in your life, Hogan, mm -hmm. to uh, easily become um, engaged in those activities to the point where we feel like we lose ourselves in the activity, which is a good thing. But in the afterglow of losing ourselves, we are likely very often see uh, the uh, what's what's causing a glow is, is our ego attachment to what we've accomplished and not to just the empty experience of being and being in an active form uh, and uh, and so in 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 that regard um, the only uh, method as I said in the, earlier and in this talk is uh, for me that has helped me break that uh, attachment to outcome is Zazen practice. And in particular, Sashin practice. Uh, I think Zazen practice is incredibly important on whatever basis you can do it. But Sashin practice takes you to another level. Uh, it, uh, if, if done in the tradition, Colvin's tradition in this Zendo or in the tradition of other uh, Buddhist uh, 
groups can be incredibly powerful. And it is a qualitative uh, uh, leap from daily practice in my experience. I apologize for the overly long response. <laughs> Please, anyone else feel free to ask uh, questions. I'll try if anyone can hear me. I'm not sure that the audio is working. It is, it okay, is. Good, well, thank you. So good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see all the people that I don't see. And my question would be about that. You mentioned that sitting together in a group as a uh, fundamental of Copen's practice, the group practice, and also the, in particular in Sashin, the group practice, as opposed to Zoom. Do you have any comments on what we're losing and whether we're losing it at all? Hmm. Well, I haven't tried to sit a Sashin in Zoom, <laughs> so, so I don't know. Um, um, I, I don't know how to answer that, Cliff. Uh, you know, all I can say is that uh, we are a very adaptive species and um, I think it's better to sit in Zoom than to sit alone. It's better to sit in Zoom and feel even this level of connection with others uh, than to sit by oneself uh, only. I, I, I'm all in favor of individual practice, but uh, the power of being in a, in a group doing this practice, uh, I don't think it can be underestimated. Thank you. Yeah, I can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. Okay. Uh, yeah, I just had a, a question because I, I think what you're talking about relates so uh, pertinently to what's going on today outside the world of the Zendo and Jokoji and uh, into our social and political life. And you're talking about the ego's need to distinguish between ourselves and others. And what I'm probably experiencing more than anything recently is um, it's instead of between ourselves and others, my group and that group. And and, and trying to navigate that, that being, being aware of that and trying to navigate that and sometimes really being lost in that. And other times I have moments where it's okay. And it goes back and forth and back. And it, it, it's um, a real up and down experience. And um yeah, I, I think lessening the distinction to himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, it it feels probably the best when I'm sitting and this and that. But then I get up and I go through the life. I listen to the news. I I try to manage how much that comes in. But still, I, I I'm part of this world. I'm part of this life and uh, and all that and. I have two daughters and I want them, you know, to live in a better world. Uh, so 
I guess my question is, if you have any advice on navigating that, um, that, that pathway between this group and that group, or yeah, it, it's so easy to throw the the group almost reinforces something in us. So, mm -hmm. excellent, very deep question. Um, there is no, Randy. There's no question that uh, we are tribal as a species, uh, and so it's easy to uh, fall into these kind of tribal groups. Here we have the Democrats and the Republicans. Here we have, uh, uh, you know, the Trumpians and the Bidians. And, and, uh, and as you say, that uh, distinction, those distinctions are reinforced constantly uh, on the news, on news feeds, on internet, et cetera. The, uh, the, I think, for, I can't answer that. I can only tell you that for me, the, um, Trying to be compassionate and understand that others uh, on the other side of the political equation have the same, often the same sense of, of need for, for the, their view that I feel that I have for mine. It, it helps me soften somewhat that I can say, okay, I understand what it is to feel strongly about my point of view. Again, our practice teaches us that compassion and wisdom uh, uh, are the means by which we can bridge that gap. And that is, uh, we can see what can be effective right action. Uh, maybe it's certainly voting, maybe it's supporting candidates that are important and uh, uh, elections that are important. And at the same time, by generating compassion for people who are of a different persuasion politically than oneself, you may be able to at least not be disturbed by what occurs in November. Should Trump be reelected, and that's something that I assume would be unacceptable to you, uh, you, you can generate, uh, I think, the, the strength of uh, that, that this is okay. In the long run, the long time of history, uh, it will pass. And, and that, that's what wisdom teaches us, that our sitting practice is a practice of patience with nothing happening. And so it teaches us to accept events that seem cataclysmic on the surface, but really aren't. If you want a cataclysmic event, it's what, it's what Hogan mentioned, 8 billion human beings on the planet. Uh, the, the level of nuclear proliferation didn't stop with uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union. It remains the same as between us and them. It didn't change. In fact, uh, now we India, Pakistan, North Korea, et cetera, Israel have all added their weight to the equation. So again, the the question you raise is uh, one that all of us are looking at today on both sides of the political equation, but especially on ours, uh, our side, uh, me being a progressive and I assume you as well, because we're out. 
and we see, uh, you know, we're very unhappy with what has been occurring in the United States in the last four years. Thank you. It's a very, yeah, very difficult you. question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian. Um, yes. When, well, since I have uh, aged, uh, <clears throat> I'm not happy about that, but it has happened. I've gotten old. I can't sit as much as I used to, although I still do sit. Zazen, uh, when you talk about Sashin, you know, being kind of the pinnacle or the, the utmost practice, I don't believe I could do it. Uh, and um, I, 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 I don't know if this is a question, it's more of a comment that I think that many of the practices I do are to maintain my health and they feel uh, effective in not in the same way that Zazen is effective but in, in an equally important way uh, to my uh, sense of something what you know my sense of fulfillment so I, I want to put in a word for uh when you can't do the best practice, do one that works for you. That's all I want to say. Well, thank you, Judy. That is, uh, that is incredibly important advice and wisdom because we're all heading the same direction. <laughs> <laughs> there is no other, there's no other way out. So, uh, I will keep that in mind uh, as you know uh, the years begin to take. Well, they already have <laughs> taken their toll, but increasingly take their toll on me. And uh, and I think that the the important thing when you are as advanced as you are in your practice is that I think it's more about remembering uh, what you've already uh, seen and what you've already experienced. And uh, therefore, bringing that up in whatever you're doing uh, is, is very, very important and is a manifestation of uh, the dis uh, dis dissolving the difference or the distinction between self and other. Those are, those are the acts of doing so. Uh, there are many memories that are not so pleasant, I will have to add, but uh, being able to... Uh, incorporate them into a, a, a sense of uh, <clears throat> big self uh, is interesting and workable. Uh, let me uh, mention something which you, you may know already or everyone here may know, but I found out this morning that uh, Mel Weitzman has pancreatic cancer and it, it has just, uh, or is stepping down from his uh, leadership of the Berkeley Zendo. And I, I just wanted to mention that. Thank you. I didn't know that. So um, I just wanted to say um, that I have been uh, listening to 
a fair amount of podcasts about um, the lot, like how empathy might not be the greatest thing. I'm trying. I'm struggling to understand how empathy is a bad thing. Can you help me out at all in understanding that? I can try. Uh, the uh, this is a teaching from a Tibetan teacher who I have spent many years with, and he uh, explained to me that the uh, symbol of the Buddha in Tibetan Buddhism is the Garuda, and the Garuda is a winged being that flies on two wings. One wing is is compassion and the other is wisdom. And that empathy without wisdom dissolves into, into pity. That's its worst manifestation. Or, or a sense of superiority, which is implicit in pity. And so that's uh, one thing that you might take uh, to heart and, and to reflect on is that feeling sorry for someone, yeah, even you know, a homeless person or so forth, which are certainly worthy of our compassion. But if that feeling comes uh, from a place of superiority, uh, it, it isn't infused with wisdom. Wisdom is to say, there's no difference between me and that person, that woman, that man, that suffering being, that's me. And, uh, and if that is the, the view, then what you do out of that view is you can call it empathy, but if it's, if it's truly infused with compassion and wisdom, then it's right action. Um, Brian, it's Hogan again, back at Jacoji. Can you hear me? Yes, loud and clear. Um, ben, thanks for that question. And Brian, thank you for that, that uh, nice clarification. Uh, and I, I appreciated um, what Judy said as well. And uh, as I listened to that, something came up that I wanted to share. It had to do with um, uh, practice, Zazen practice, and specifically it's come up a couple of times today, uh, how important you feel the Sashin experience is. And I wanted to share um, what seems to me, in, in my experience with Sushin, what the kernel of that is for me is um, making an agreement with myself and with support of other people that I'm going to let go of any kind of agenda items I, I think are important, whether or not they were important things to get done for Jacoji or important things to get done for Hogan, to enter into this, this limited-term contract, a week-long contract in which I'm just going to see what it's like to let go of all of those things that I think had to get done and just be in a supportive community of I'll get enough sleep, I'll get enough shelter, I'll get enough food, and then just be, be curious about what arises and also experience that all of these things that I think my you know, egoic self thinks need to get done this week, they didn't really have to get done. Or, or maybe, maybe that's not the conclusion, maybe letting go of the conclusions 
uh, better, but just that the kernel is surrendering this agenda that I've got, no matter how how altruistic I believe it to be or how altruistic anybody told me it was, if I just let go of it for several days and see what happens, that's been extremely valuable to me over and over. Um, and I'll add, it's been most successful when I enter into that in a setting in which I, I don't have my usual um, my usual room or bedding or surrounded by my usual responsibilities. Um, and that, that will be a challenge for, for us in the shelter in place time. But anyway, I just wanted, that's something that arose I wanted to share with everyone about the value of this machine um, practice. Thank you. I'd like to say a few words. Uh, this is part three in response to Judy. And you know, one of the wonderful things about COVID was you never cared whether you sat or didn't sit during Sashine. You know, you could sit for a few periods and then go for a walk. You know, it, it never mattered to him. Uh, and that's because uh, he felt that eventually, if you did this practice, you would come to love the practice itself and you'd want to return to it. Uh, I also think that. It, so for Judy and for others as we age, uh, you, we need to we need to modify <clears throat> uh, the zazen practice in sashin and to temper it so that it it is appropriate. If it means sitting in a chair, you sit in a chair. But if you sit in a lounge chair, it's better than not sitting at all. On this point that you make, <clears throat> let me let me tell you that <laughs> I don't know how you do it because you live there. And, and you're surrounded by all I got to do, should have done, why didn't I, etc. So for me, I um, come to Jukoji. I've done a lot of projects there. I, it takes me hmm, better part of two and sometimes more like three days to, and to finally get there. And what I do, uh, a little different than what you do, Hogan, I actually do mantra practice, which I learned from Tibetans, and I do a Tibetan mantra, and I have a rosary, and I do 108 of them, and I do them every sitting practice for three days. That's how long it takes me to quiet my mind to the point where I'm actually at Chikoji sitting, and not at Chikoji thinking about projects. So there are other practices that you can use to help uh, you do what you're trying to do. Maybe you can do it naturally, and I honor you and, and encourage you to continue with your method. Uh, and if that works, great. But uh, if there are other methods that you might consider trying, uh, then by all means do so. Thank you. Just a comment uh, that I heard recently from Robert Thurman. If if we're Buddhists and we believe in reincarnation, he said the old saying that you never get out get out of this life alive. He said, no, we're never going to get out of this life dead. So, <laughs> so we got that going for us. <laughs> yeah, perfect. I love it. Yeah. Thank you, Bob.
Brother Bob, I might add. <laughs> the, similar, the similarity is striking. <laughs> so Bob and I are connected through a character known as Monty Levinson, who, by the way, did the sign, uh, the Jokoji sign. Uh, and Monty is a, uh, when you come into Jokoji, uh, Monty was uh, making shakuhachis uh, when I first met him in 1970. And they were the worst shakuhachis imaginable. I still have one. I actually have one right behind me here, which I will show you. And this is one of Monty's earliest shakuhachis. It's unplayable. Uh, and, and so to support his habit, he was a sign maker. And, uh, and so that's how we came to have that beautiful sign. Anyway, Bob and I uh, share a love of the shakuhachi and, and we have a, uh, this relationship with uh, Monty who we refer to as our brother by another mother. <laughs> a brother by another mother made this flute also. So this is Monty. <laughs> I, I got this did. over 20 years ago. Oh, marvelous. Well, uh, grateful for you being here, Bob. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, Brian, it's Emmy here at Jokoji. Uh, I just want to thank you for your talk and for uh, mentioning the importance of Zazen in our, our time to sit and quiet the mind and be with everything. And also the importance of the environment. It's a terrible sight seeing, um, you know, a whole hillside of trees being taken down. And it's not just the trees, it's all the life that the trees support. So what comes to mind is the biodiversity, how important biodiversity is for our life here. And because we're part of that. And that also reminds me of Zazen, because we're part of everything. So it kind of is a circular thing for me. <laughs> but um, thank you for... Thank you for your talk. Thank you, Emmy. And yes, uh, the ecology of the biosphere is really important. I have the great good fortune of being a trustee on this enormous trust. Uh, the man who set it up was an heir to the Anheuser Bush fortune. And the only thing uh, I had nothing to do, I didn't have enough money to. <laughs> make any contribution. But anyway, I got appointed by him as one of his trustees and uh, our sole purpose is to uh, preserve and protect and, and restore native wildlife and plants. And so that's uh, what we're doing. And, uh, and it's there's nothing really more important, especially as global warming progresses, which it seems will inevitably be the case unless there's a major shift in human consciousness. Uh, and so what's going to happen is, uh, you know, there'll be climate refugees who are humans and there'll be some animals that will be able to adapt to a different uh, uh, environment, certainly not polar bears and, and certainly uh, not many other species. So, I, uh, I agree with you that uh, the, the circle of life is something that we're all part of. And to the extent we 
appreciate it and realize that we'll do our part to help maintain that circle. Thank you so much. Brian? Yes. Hi, this is Janet Chikoji. Um, Jen, hi. I was thinking about the, uh, the situation with the Sashin and COVID and in some ways, uh, the way that we're approaching COVID, you know, by wearing these robes on our face to uh, protect other people and to wash our hands and to keep distance in a way it's a, a different kind of practice, but yet, you know, many of the actions that we do are actually for the benefit of people we may never meet, you know, with the people that we come into contact with and then the people that they come into contact with and, and just having the uh, generosity to be a little more patient with them. I found that in a way, it's kind of its own sashim. We don't, you know, it feels like it's never going to end. And um, then all of a sudden it'll be over. And I just want to ask you um, what your thoughts are on our situation with the COVID. And um, if I missed it earlier, I apologize. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Uh, well, COVID is a real challenge uh, to all of us. Um, and um, at, at all levels, the, the need to uh, be safe ourselves and the also an, an even more important need to protect others, uh, you know, compels huge changes in the way we behave with each other. And, uh, and there's nothing clearer than looking at uh, this small group at the Sunday program, all masked, all doing the right thing. I don't know uh, how we go forward. I, all I can say is that, you know, the best, the next best thing we have, I guess, is to uh, do these kinds of Zoom gatherings. Uh, on the other hand, maybe you know, the, the risk associated with Sashin practice, it seems to me in December, like for example, Rahatsu is so great that I, I would be very uh, unhappy if, if we did Sashin in, at Rahatsu uh, in, any, in the Zendo, uh, you know, a large group of people. I, I just think it's, um, it's, it's not right action. Uh, obviously, I, I, I look to all of you who are the residents there to provide that guidance and insight. One, one thing is likely is that this will pass. In other words, uh, there, it seems likely that, uh, you know, we see that happening in places like China, just based on uh, good hygienic practices and also on tracing and other other testing and so on. Uh, whether that'll happen in the United States remains to be seen. And if not, then it will depend on, a, on obtaining, uh, achieving herd immunity through um, uh, to a vaccine. Until that happens, and that's an unknown, I don't think there is uh, any way to conduct Sashin safely. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing what others say, but especially you, Doug, uh, and, and Jen and Hogan and uh, Jero and uh, Emmy, people who are there. Well, uh, speaking to Sashin, uh, this is Doug again. 
we have done um, at least two sessions during the COVID. We did one for COVID Memorial, and we also did Think Away with um, eight people here in the Zendo and many people on Zoom. And uh, so how to be fair, how to make it work, it seems like it's uh, worth uh, uh, holding a rohatsu, uh, a modified one of some kind, where either people can sit out on the deck, and maybe we we currently have side doors open in the zendo for cross ventilation. So we were able to accommodate some people, uh, those of us here at least. And so how, how to do that is, um, I guess there are a lot of minds here to work on that. But um, uh, maybe, maybe a zoomable rohatsu is also of uh, value since we are, as you pointed out, Brian, we, we get a chance to sit together. Yes. And that, that is very important. So um, we haven't posted what we're going to do for Ohatsu, but that's uh, five weeks away. Four weeks away, five weeks away. So uh, we all have to work on that. Well, as I say, this is really a, an important decision for the residents to make and to then let the rest of us know what, what works. I, the only thing I point out is December is <laughs> uh, quite a bit colder and rainier or snowier or whatever at Chikoji than it is for the other times of the year that we sit. So um, in any event, I look to uh, all of you to help us out. Yes. Uh, thank you very much for your talk. I really enjoyed it. Um, and, you know, um, you're talking about not having Zazen and not taking risks. And I just, the first thing I thought is you wouldn't have gone to Birmingham <laughs> if you had known the <laughs> risks, you know? I mean, you know, it just, it's life, you know? It, um, and and, and you, you, you were young. I mean, I remember going to all the anti-war demonstrations and the riots and, your kids, we didn't think about the risks, you know? Um, and, and sometimes you just have to take the risks. You know, we don't progress. I mean, Birmingham, I mean, if you hadn't gone, I mean, that was so critically important. That the, still, still, it changed America, changed the way we think. Um, but uh, I know comparing that to Zazan at Chikoji is not the same, but still, uh, caution can become its own enemy, you know? But, uh, but really, thank you for your talk and your activism. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just want to say that um, uh, what intensified uh, my uh, experience there, of course, you're right. Yeah, 21, you do things like that, <laughs> was the, um, again, coming from someplace that was so different to a place that I ran smack into uh, something that I had didn't know even existed. Uh, and, and I will mention that uh, when I was there in 65, there, as I said in the talk, there were two black voters 
who are registered to vote. One was a doctor and the other was a dentist. And uh, today, Lowndes County is the supervisors or aldermen or whatever they're called, predominantly black. So yeah, it uh, made a big difference. And um, similarly, I'm ready to take the risk myself <laughs> with Rahatsu, but I have to say to uh, the residents there, this is something that you need to reflect on because uh, you know you're, you're, we're coming from the outside, those of us who come there and you're there on the inside and you have created a secure environment. So I'm, uh, I will uh, abide by whatever decisions you come up with. Thank you for the question, though. It's great. If there's, if there's no more um, uh, imminent questions, um, I want to thank Brian again for this talk. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.